knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Welcome to Theology Gals Podcast, and I am Colleen Sharp. Today, we have a very, very special episode for you. We will be talking with Amy Spreeman from Brian Research about NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. And if you aren't familiar, it has nothing to do with Reformed Theology or the Reformation. It is something totally different but it's out there. It may not be in our circles, in Reformed and Presbyterian circles, but it is out there in greater evangelicalism. You've probably heard of things like Bethel and Bethel music. And so those are some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. But before we go to Amy, I have a couple of things that I wanted to mention. So anyone who's listened to our podcast very long remembers when we had Amy Montravati on our podcast, and she'd written an article about Tim Keller, and we talked about the things in her article with her, and it's really been up there as one of our most popular episodes. So I wanted to mention that a few months ago, Amy released a book, and it's a fiction book, and I know that a lot of the women out there, but this is for the men too, are sometimes asking me, what are some good fiction books that we can read? Well, this is the one that I'm going to highly recommend. I've got it on my list to read this summer, but several of my friends have read it. They say it's wonderful, and I don't doubt that it is. So I'm really excited to read it. And I want all of you guys to go out and pick up this book. And it is called The Girl Empress, The Chronicle of Maud, book one, which of course implies there's going to be more of them. We love Amy. She's a very, very talented writer. I'm going to put a link in the episode notes to where you can buy the book. You can get it right on Amazon. You can get the Kindle version. You can buy the paperback version, whichever you prefer. But please go check out Amy Montravati's new book. The second thing I wanted to mention, and that is a new podcast, and it's by a couple of Presbyterian girls, and that is Sam and Nora, and they just started last week. It's different than Theology Gals, even though we got 
a couple of other Presbyterian girls. Sam and Nora, they're, they're younger women than Ashley and I are, but they have some wonderful things to say. They're single, so I think that they'll have some things to say on that that Ashley and I maybe can't relate to as much. They're very like-minded with Ashley and I on theological stuff, but I definitely want you to check them out. Their podcast is called God Talk. You can find them at www.thegodtalkpodcast.com, or you can look up God Talk on iTunes, on whatever podcasting app that you use, or you can listen right on the website. So please go and check them out, support them and what they are doing. And we're going to have them on at some point so they can tell us a little bit more about their podcast and what they're going to be doing. So those are the couple things I wanted to mention. And now we're going to go to our interview with Amy Spreeman. And we are here with Amy Spreeman from Berean Research. And before we get into our topic today, we're going to be talking about the new apostolic reformation. Amy, for those not familiar with you, could you just share a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. And thanks for having me. I just really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this topic. It's it's so huge. But uh, I've actually, um, uh, my background is journalism. Uh, so I've been a journalist since 1986. Uh, but it wasn't until about uh, 10 years ago that the nature of my reporting started to change. Uh, I was in a church and uh, God opened my eyes to just the literal assault on his nature and character and his very words. So um, I began to, to kind of turn my investigative reporting that way um, to defend and contend, I just really wanted to help others avoid being deceived. So, um, you know, that's kind of the first step. We, we do this kind of work because we love the sheep and we don't want people to be deceived. And so out of that, um, I started doing radio. Uh, Stand Up for the Truth was my first broadcast and I started that in 2010. And then five years ago, started uh, Berean Research, which is a kind of a, an outshoot of that. It, it's got lots of research papers, a uh, lot of things on the NAR, and uh, just all sorts of topics on on movements, uh, cults, counter cults, that kind of thing. But uh, you know, and and we can really expect to see more attacks from outside the church, and um, that it's happening from inside. So uh, that we have to keep on our toes and keep in the word. Hmm. Yeah, and. Um, I wanted to say going in, we're going to say NAR a lot, so we don't have to use the full new apostolic reformation. But when we're when we're talking about NAR through this podcast, we'll be referring to the new apostolic reformation. Now, when the inevitably in our Facebook group, when someone brings NAR up, there's always a couple people that say, wait, what is it? And I think Ashley and I have not really been exposed to it a lot in our circles. You know, we've become familiar with it from the different things that we see on the internet and social media. But for those that are not familiar with it, what is it? 
Well, the simplest explanation uh, for the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR, it's a, a really a dominionist movement, which uh, tells us that God is restoring the lost offices of church governance, uh, mostly uh, of prophet and apostle. So we haven't had prophets and apostle for 2,000 years, but now we need to have them again. And uh, recently, I, I spoke at uh, an Answers in Genesis uh, AIG Women's Conference uh, in front of 500 women, and I asked this question, how many people have never heard of the word New Apostolic Reformation or NAR. And I would say uh, most most of the women, probably 85% raised their hands. They'd never heard of this before. So um, I've got a definition uh, after researching this over the years. Um, it's, it's a fast-growing dominionist movement of new apostles and prophets who will lead God's end times army in establishing his kingdom on earth by taking authority over earthly and spiritual realms. So that's kind of a mouthful, but <laughs> we can maybe post that and uh, with the podcast if you like, but it's uh, it kind of encapsulates all the different uh, elements of the NAR. And really it's one of the most difficult snares a sheep can fall into. Uh, and it's really sweeping the church today. Uh, so there's probably a good chance that many of your friends uh, or loved ones or church acquaintances are either dangerously close to believing in some unbiblical ideas, or they're just full blown into the bondage of it. And, you know, many of you listening might even have come from that movement and uh, praise God that he opened your eyes or is about to. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say apostolic, so they believe that they have uh, the spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. um, how, um, is that similar? I mean, I know I hear charismatic churches, um, and then I hear NAR. Like, is there is NAR a more extreme version? Um, yes, and it's a little bit different. Um, it, it's it, it's different from the more uh, typical charismatic churchgoer. So it really goes far beyond any discussion of tongues or gifts or that kind of thing. Uh, it, this is really what we're talking about is a global deception, and it calls into question the very fundamental nature and character of God Almighty, and that's bad. So uh, by and exalting the word of modern apostles and prophets over and above Scripture, mm -hmm. the NAI attacks every major doctrine of Christianity. Um, in fact, there's uh, I have, have charismatic friends who have their own discernment ministries, and they will call out this unbiblical deception for what it is, and uh, they will name the names of the wolves who are tearing apart the sheep. So uh, good on them. Um, you know, you, you often hear, well, why don't charismatic people call this out? They do. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it's very different than the typical uh, charismatic friend that you might have. So what are... I mean, what are the main things that they're teaching and also like how, how dangerous is oh, boy. <laughs> uh, very. <laughs> I would say that the New Apostolic Reformation is a much bigger and more dangerous movement than, the, um, say, the emergent church was a decade ago, or even its distant cousin, the Word of Faith movement. So this is exploding and thriving throughout Asia, Africa, Latin America, and especially here in the United States. Um, it does contain elements of the Word of Faith movement and the New Age, and it's extremely intoxicating and appealing for what I would say are two reasons. Uh, first of all, 
Uh, just like with any counterfeit movement we've seen attack the visible church, you're going to find some biblical truth mixed with error. Uh, they will quote scripture a lot in these church services and in conferences um, and that kind of thing. So, But scripture, when used out of context, can sound like the truth, which is why we need to be discerning and know our Bibles. Uh, we need to do as the Bereans did, of course, and compare every teaching uh, that we hear, read, and watch to God's breathed out word. But secondly, uh, people who are leaders in the NAI don't call themselves the NAR. In fact, they'll downright deny their participation in it. That's how slippery this movement is to pin down. So we have to look not at what they deny, but at the fruit. And the fruit I'm talking about isn't humility because, you know, even um, non-believers have humility and they're nice people, but we need to look at what they teach. That's the fruit we are to examine. Um, I, I didn't know how bad this was and how dangerous it was, uh, dangerous it was until about uh, a year ago, uh, I was on Facebook and I just, uh, I was watching a football game and uh, my husband and I were sitting there and I just asked this question on Facebook, uh, wanting to know if any of my friends had come out of an NAR church and if they'd be willing to share what they experienced and what happened when their eyes were finally open. So um, I, I don't know if you've seen some of those testimonies, but I've published more than 60 uh, stories on Pirate Christian Radio and Berean Research and Berean Examiner. And it's just really heartbreaking to read all the damaging things that these people have suffered. And many of them now have no church at all, or sadly, they've walked away from God completely. Their faith has been shipwrecked. Yeah, I've read some of those stories. And I should mention some of you our listeners to Fighting for the Faith, and you've probably heard of Amy via Fighting for the Faith um, with Chris Rosebro and Pirate Christian Radio. But I've read some of those stories, Amy. And let me just say that I'm going to put links in our episode notes to a lot of great resources that you have on this subject over at Berean Research and at Pirate Christian Radio. So I'm going to and the, the stories that you're talking about there. So Great. what are the main teachings within, I mean, would you call this a movement? I think movement is a really good name for it. And the NAR uh, contains uh, several distinct traits, but there are two big takeaways that we need to focus on. Uh, first of all, um, the NAR teaches that after 2000 years, God is now restoring the lost offices of apostles and prophets to govern and rule all Christian churches in these end times. Uh, and they're giving uh, these churches new marching orders directly from God. Now that's them saying it, not me. Um, and, and second, the second big takeaway is that the NAR is a dominionist movement. And, and I've said this before, but the, let me just talk about that word dominionism. It means they are commanded by God to take dominion over every aspect of social, cultural, and religious life. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Real quick, let me just say an input right here. I think that some of our listeners might be thinking at this point, well, is that similar to, to post-millennialism? Because they have a, you know, a view uh, of that, but it would be very different than yeah. the reformed post-millennial view where, you know, they believe in in that same taking culture back for Christ sort of thing, but it would be different than that. Exactly. Um, this this has uh, many moving parts in the dominionist movement. Um, there, there are some other names I, I want to just kind of bring up besides dominionism. If you hear names like um, Third Wave or Seven Mountains, the Seven Mountains Mandate, or yeah. Latter Rain, uh, Fivefold, um, Kingdom Now, Joel's Army, uh, Manifest Sons of God, uh, another 
Another one is bridal perfection. Um, there are many, many more. In fact, a, a new term just last year kind of emerged called INC, I-N-C, and that stands for Independent Network Charismatics. And so uh, these folks form many different networks, but uh, you have to understand that there's no one um um, denomination or creed uh, that they follow. Um, they, they just, they, they join up with different networks and uh, that's kind of how you find out who they are. So those would be kind of other names or similar movements or things which tie in with this? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So essentially they, they think right now it's like a new ax. Like- exactly. Okay. Interesting. It, I didn't know that. Yeah. And some of the links on, on the site uh, that you're you're posting there will have all the different um, names and what they believe. And there's some nuances within each one, but uh, very, very interesting and frightening reading. Right. So, and, and typically charismatics will say, you know, the gifts, the gifts never ceased. Those are continuing, right. but this is like a extra. This yeah. is like, not only did they not cease, like there is something big happening right now. Right. They, they are gifts. ramping up. It's, it's gifts on steroids for sure. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Where did this movement come from? Well, interestingly, there's a, a history behind this. If, if you look back, you can find traces of this as far back as the 1890s in Africa. Uh, if, you know, kind of you can trace it back. But most Western churches never heard of any of this until about a century later. So uh, in the 1990s, this movement officially got a name called the New Apostolic Reformation, and it officially became a thing. Uh, the first person who ever uh, coined that name was the late C. Peter Wagner. And he was a professor and church growth guru at Fuller Theological Seminary. And uh, so the, he named it, and the NAR evolved from the Latter Rain movement, actually. It's kind of an uh, evolution. Uh, so you may have seen Latter Rain videos from uh, the Toronto Airport Blessing or uh, the Brownsville Revival or the Kansas City Outpouring, where uh, these men who organized the events began to shift into a new paradigm. Uh, you see people rolling around on the floor or uh, making sounds like animals. Uh, but and, and that's really kind of what characterizes this. Uh, the NAR actually is a rebranding of this latter rain movement. And so Peter Wagner wrote this book called Apostles Today, Biblical Government for Biblical Power. And uh, if you want to really blow your friends away, grab a copy of that book or just, uh, or I, I, in fact, I'd like to read just a, a couple paragraphs from that book, if you wouldn't mind. I think it explains a lot about his thinking. That would thinking. be great. Yeah. Okay, so this is Peter Wagner, and he he asks this question. He says, quote, are there apostles in our churches today? Well, most would affirm that they believe in apostles because Jesus led a group of 12 of them. However, apostles are generally seen as figures of a bygone age, like Vikings, Roman legions, Spanish conquistadors, or pioneers in covered wagons. They made their contributions to history, but the world has moved on. This is what most of our church leaders were taught in seminary and Bible school. I know I was one of them. The notion that there could be contemporary apostles never came up in the seminaries I attended, not even as a suggestion. We were taught that by the time the 12 original apostles had a, they just had a singular one-of-a-kind mission that was completed by the time of their deaths. And that was that, the end of their brief life of apostles on earth. Consequently, he writes, I graduated assuming that apostles did not continue long after the first hundred years or so of the church. And then he writes, 
Not so. We are now living in the midst of one of the most epical changes in the structure of the church that has ever been recorded. I like to call it the Second Apostolic Age. The Second Apostolic Age is a phenomenon of the 21st century. My studies indicate that it began around the year 2001. And so just that book, that passage alone is is really interesting. Uh, What happened to Wagner around that time is anyone's guess, but he experienced some major paradigm shift, and he's taken hundreds of thousands of people down a very, very dangerous path. Wow, that's really, really fascinating. And I was actually going to ask you about kind of the Toronto blessing and some of that, because I remember when some of that was happening back in the 90s, the laughing revival and some of the crazy things. Yes. A lot of people remember if they they weren't around for that, they remember the YouTube videos. It's it's just, uh, you know, and they call it a move of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. I I think as we kind of unroll uh, what this really is all about, you'll find that it's the spirit of the age and not uh, our almighty God. So since it's not it's not an organized movement in the same way that some other things are, but I think we've had movements throughout church history that aren't necessarily, um, you know, organized. We see that even with, you know, some of the Great Awakening stuff. There were different teachers doing some different things. But who are I I think this is where people are going to say, oh, I've heard of that person, even if they haven't heard of NAR. Who are some of the teachers and maybe even if there's churches that are associated with it? Absolutely. You know, and and it would take all day long to name them all, (laughs) but uh, we can share some of the more recognizable ones. And and I just want to say, as as we contend and share truth, uh, we'll all run into people who are going to tell us that you should never name names. And I would just say, how else can you help people identify and avoid the dangers? Um, Jesus and Paul did that. The Bible tells us to mark and avoid false teachers who bring division. So uh, I just want to assure people, this isn't gossiping or slandering. um, And really, we should take no joy in what awaits false teachers who teach for shameful gain and really shipwreck the faith of so many sheep. So uh, with that being said, um, the most influential and well-known NAR leaders are Bill Johnson of Bethel Church in Redding, California, and Mike Bickle, uh, the founder of the International House of Prayer or IHOP in Kansas City. Now, other names uh, that you might hear are uh, Randy Clark of Global Awakening, Heidi Baker, uh, Lou Engel of The Call, uh, Rick Joyner and uh, Cindy Jacobs, Dutch Sheets, Chuck Pierce, Todd Bentley, uh, Rod Parsley, Shayon, and many, many more. But these are the main apostles and prophets, and they claim millions of followers. Um, they're also aided by an army of fellow ministers within each of their organizations who fall under their spiritual covering. So, uh, yeah, and, and many of the apostles run mega churches that are well known. I mentioned Bethel Church um, of California. There's one called H Rock Church in Pasadena, um, IHOP, but, you know, their real power lies in their, um, what they would say is an innovative approach to selling faith. It's almost like being a, an Amway salesman. Um, they've combined multi-level marketing, um, Pentecostal signs and wonders, post-millennial optimism. I mean, they really get the young people involved to connect directly with millions of spiritual customers. And uh, of course, there's a money element in here too. And uh, this allows them to reap millions of donations and conference fees and book and DVD sales. So uh, mm-hmm. 
because these apostles claim to get direction straight from God, they really operate with almost no oversight. And I'm I'm familiar with at least Bethel. I'm familiar with because yeah. of their, their music, and of course, I, I live out here in California. But their music is very good. It's very yeah. it's very well done, and it's very um it's very popular. And I would imagine a lot of people who hear their music don't realize quite what it's connected to. There um, is it. Should we talk about music? I was going to save that one kind of for the end. Oh, we could. I, I just, that was just an observation. <laughs> well, well, let's get into that because the music is, is actually a really important element of um, the NAR. It's kind of a hallmark and it's being used as a critical piece in these services to bring you to a so-called higher level of consciousness. So um, Bethel Redding's main tool for bringing you into the presence of God, and that's how they, they frame it, is its own worship band, Jesus Culture. And so the music conjures up this emotional high and it brings people to tears. It really does. Um, They will use something called whole tones. Have you ever heard of that before? Whole tones? No. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay. Why don't you explain it? Well, it's specially formulated uh, music. It's really ethereal and it's played at certain tones to speak to your subconscious minds. Now, I don't know if it works, but a lot of people say that it does. Um, Musician friends of mine uh, tell me that when their churches went NAR, they were taught to play this way on their worship team. So if you ever hear someone say that the worship team needs to draw people into the presence or glory of God, that should be a huge red flag. You know, that music doesn't draw us into the presence of God. Um, But in addition to this hypnotic whole tone beat, uh, we we should talk about the lyrics of music uh, from uh, groups like Jesus Culture and Hillsong United is another one. Um, Even if some of them don't sing about apostles and prophets, many of the songs contain some of the most blatant NAR teaching you can find. And it really makes the Holy Spirit like this force you can call down or embrace romantically instead of the third person of the Holy Trinity, you know, dwelling inside the regenerated uh, born-again believer. So it's the same kind of music that is used in something called the soaking prayer. Have you heard of that? I, I have heard. I, I I couldn't tell you what it is, but I've definitely heard that before. Oh, yeah. Well, we can get into that too. The soaking prayer <laughs> um, is part of it. And it's a phenomenon that came out of the so-called Toronto Airport Blessing. So um, those latter rain leaders were the first to package and market the soaking prayer. That's what they call it. And it's where you play this hypnotic music as you lie on the floor with a pillow and soak in God's presence. Um, it's really, and, and I've, I've seen videos of this. Um, I know that uh, Sid Roth had a soaking prayer tutorial that they put up on uh, WND uh, News. And so, uh, but it's really all emotion-based, uh, designed to silence your mind so you can hear extra biblical voices from God. And people say it works. I mean, they hear voices. Um, they say that what you do is you position yourself to receive impressions or nudges or quiet whispers or pictures. Um, some people receive angelic visitations, of course, you know, that's what they say they're receiving, um, and supernatural revelations, out-of-body experiences, and and much more. So we really have to remind people uh, what the Bible says about avoiding sorcery, uh, mysticism, divination, and the like. So, mm. yeah, we really have to have to just look at that through the lens of of scripture. It's, yeah, it sounds very Eastern. Yeah, it really is. They'll, they'll tell yeah. you that some of these practices come from the East. It's not a Western thing at all. Mm. 
Yeah, I was a music major, and I know one thing that we talked about, and I was at a Bible college, but we actually did have some discussions, because at that point, it was the early 90s, a lot more praise music was coming out. I was not in a charismatic college at all, but just even beyond what, what you were saying, and we know this just even watching a movie, that music often is intended to... Um, result in a certain emotion. If you're watching yes. a horror movie, there's music mm-hmm. that builds up so that you get, you know, anxious for what's going to happen or romantic music or. I yeah. grew up in a, a pretty large evangelical church and they would do the, uh, you know, the certain chords they would play every time mm-hmm. they did the, <laughs> the walk the aisle thing, you know, the, yeah. what do they call it? The invitation or the altar call. Yeah. That's what I'm altar looking call. for. They would do the altar call and it'd be this like very emotional music and they would just keep doing it until, <laughs> until someone would walk the aisle and usually someone yeah. did. So <laughs> I know it, it works. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the concerns, this is something that comes up over and over in our group. Sure. And within our group, we've got people in confessionally reformed and Lutheran churches. We have people in, you know, the Corner Baptist Church or the the mega church down the road. And they'll come in and say, my church is now starting to practice this thing over here. And I'm I'm not sure this is good. Is and some people will say, oh, that's NAR. Or they'll come and say, you know, my church is using Bethel music. Um, But how what are ways in which some of these things have come into other churches that are not necessarily affiliated with this. Exactly. So in many churches that are adopting some of these practices are considered to be solid mainstream churches. Um, but these NAR leaders have these conferences and leadership meetings, and they, they figured out that uh, discerning churches today would never consider recommending or inviting theology from a modern day apostle or prophet. So to help them penetrate the mainstream and sort of fly under the radar, they've really distanced themselves from those titles. So one thing you might not have known is that that apostles are also called generals, which is kind of a code word for apostle. So um, if you look at websites, a lot of times it's kind of a a cut and paste deal where you can't really tell from a website what people actually really teach. You have to go and and listen over a series of weeks. But on the Bethel uh, Reading Church website, they openly state that they do embrace the biblical office of apostle and prophet. So that tells us, yep, they are indeed NAR. So to his own congregation, Bill Johnson, who is the lead pastor, is uh, called a prophet. But outside of Bethel, he says he feels more comfortable with the word general. And uh, Mike Bickle of IHOP is also called a general. Another word is harvester or uh, bishop. And then you've got radio personalities with hundreds and thousands of followers who are confusing the sheep by promoting and affiliating with some of the biggest NAR names in history. So um, just telling people, you know, oh, um, you know, NAR is not really a thing. It's just a figment of the wild imaginations of some discernment ministries. So there's really a lot of challenges out there. And uh, there's there's a lot of arguments against even saying that the NAR is a real thing, but but we know that it is. Um, there, there are ways you can tell if a church is full-blown NAR. Um, if, if a church does not have the office of apostle or prophet, they really aren't officially NAR. Um, you know, the NAR paradigm, again, says that the offices of apostle and prophet have been missing for 2,000 years. And, and get this, this is a real teaching. Jesus has not been able to come back to a perfected kingdom. So they've restored these two offices, and they believe that if they can perfect a kingdom right here for Jesus right now, 
it will activate his return. Um, so that's really kind of the, the key thing is, is if it's apostles and prophets, then it's NAR. Um, you know, when we can define those words, apostle and prophet, and in fact, we, we probably should do that. Yeah, go ahead and do that. Well, you know, we, we've always heard of apostle being defined as sent one. Um, and in the Greek, apostle means one sent forth. So we often hear of missionaries being sent ones, right, to uh, bring the good news of the gospel to people around the world. So in a sense, I guess we all should be apostles uh, to be sharing the good news. But that's not what the NAR apostles are all about. See, NAR apostles claim equal power to the original apostles appointed by Christ himself. So since these uh, new apostles claim to be commissioned directly by God, their authority must not be questioned. Now, that doesn't sound like a sent one, does it? (laughs) No. So uh, today's new apostles have to be anointed by other apostles through usually the laying of hands. It's referred to as receiving a mantle, um, and this anointing physically is passed from one to another. So, uh, you know, we know what the Bible says about the unique qualifications of for the original 12 apostles. Um, first, they would have had to have been a witness of the resurrected Christ, right, from 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 1. And second, they would have had to have uh, been explicitly chosen by the Holy Spirit, uh, says that in Acts chapter 9. And uh, thirdly, they would have had to have the ability to perform signs and wonders, uh, such as raising dead people, healing limbs, and that kind of thing. So um, that's the official, um, you know, how the Bible talks about uh, prophets and apostles. Prophets, uh, you know, how we define that, how NAR defines it, very, very differently. Uh, I guess the important thing is how does God define prophet? And the real prophets that we read about in Scripture actually spoke for God. He would tell them to speak an oracle to a certain people group, and it was always God's words and not the prophet. So um, I guess one of the challenges we run into with that word prophet is that evangelicals really have redefined it to mean something other than how the Bible describes prophets. And so that's where we get into trouble. So today you might hear that a prophet is one that has the gift of being able to uh, recall just the right scripture verse for a particular situation. Well, the Holy Spirit does help our minds recall scripture verses that we've learned. Um, this is wisdom, I think, right? not really prophecy. Um, so that's not really how the, the Bible uh, defines the gift of prophecy. Hmm. One thing I would just want to throw in really quick. Um, if, ch- if the average church is using Bethel music, and I've just heard from mm-hmm. so many people that say our church uses some Bethel music, they might even be a Calvinistic Baptist church, and they'll come and say, our church uses some of the Bethel music because some of it's not so bad, right, you know, that right. sort of thing. But you had said earlier that the theology really is within their music. And so ultimately a church that brings that music in, whether they mm-hmm. realize it or not, are being influenced by this movement, correct? Correct. Um, whether they know it or not, it, just a little bit of yeast and it really kind of opens your mind up mm-hmm. to ideas that that go outside of the box of scripture. You know, they say, don't put God in a box. Well, God is in a bo- box and we call that doctrine. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the, the pirate gang did a, I think it was a year ago, uh, Chris Roseborough and, and Steve Coza 
Lazar and myself, we, we did a podcast on um, Bethel and Hillsong music and uh, Jesus culture, Hillsong, all of it. And uh, just kind of went over, you know, examples of some of the words. We played some of it and then we compared it to scripture. And I, I think it's, a, a, I'll, I'll send you the link. Maybe we could put it yeah. up on the we'll, on the we'll link it. I heard it. It was very good. Very oh, good. Good. Oh, good. That's really interesting. Yeah. I was wondering if um, before, before we continue, do they... Um, in these in the era churches, do they have a a gospel message at all? No, in fact, um, unlike the prophets in the Bible, the NAR prophets rarely warn you of uh, coming judgment for unrepentant sinners. Uh, they they rarely point you to repentance and reconciliation with God, and they really hardly ever. Of course, why would they tell you to test the spirits? In fact, um, the prophetic predictions are so vague that there's really no way to test them. So, um, you know, if you really want to look at what, uh, you know, what's going on, is this a, is this a, a solid church? Kind of listen for those things that you know to be elements of the gospel and see if they actually preach them. And most of the time, uh, in fact, Chris Roseborough will tell you of the sermons that he's reviewed, they hardly ever, ever talk about the true gospel. Hmm. So they don't talk about sin, really, and they don't. No, they they, they talk don't. about um, circumstance. They'll talk about things that need to be healed. Okay, uh, like broken. So, um, you know, if if you have a like a Jezebel spirit, or you know, so something oh, okay. spiritually going on, we need to cast that out. Or you know, if you've been having knee problems, we're going to claim, um, you know, God's promises for your knee right now, and uh, and channel the Holy Spirit right. to heal that knee right now. So yeah, it's that kind of thing. It's it's really not sin and repentance at all. So the same things that you see in Word of Faith, where God doesn't want you to be sick, God doesn't want you to be poor. God doesn't want you to have trials in your life. You need to claim this this money and riches and health and wealth and all of that. Exactly. And in sermon messages in the NAR do a lot of word of faith things, but they are very different from a biblical solid church. So uh, we we hope that your listeners are in a good solid church where the pastor who uh, rightly handles the word understands that he needs to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ, including the law and the gospel. So he's going to talk about the sin that Jesus died for and our need for repentance. And so he's going to point his flock to the cross and the hope of the resurrection and of Jesus's return. But in contrast, um, NAR apostles and prophets preach not so much about the gospel of the cross, but about taking dominion of the kingdom, Um, not a future kingdom that God builds, but a kingdom right here on earth that we must create and advance. Um, they, They don't teach about Jesus having the power to overcome sin, but about the church having the power to take dominion they refer to this a lot as being mission focused. Um, mission focused is one of those catchphrases you hear. It must have come from a leadership conference of some kind, but their mission being the uh, message of the apostles and prophets rather than being Christ centered, where the mission is the gospel. Wow, that's just really interesting because I, you know, I'm thinking of like how how big Jesus is in our eyes yeah. when we think about him overcoming sin on the cross. And so if if Jesus isn't doing that, it it seems like Jesus is kind of like this weak I mean, yes. like, what is he really doing? You know, he's, he's weak sense. and distant, and he's waiting for us to either activate our own powers for, you know, or he's waiting for us to make the world better. Wow, that's really yeah. sad. 
You know, um, some of the things that that you can kind of look at um, besides the teaching, kind of look and see what some of the activities in the church are. Uh, we talked about dominionism in the church, um, and and that goes right to the heart of how churches can be organized. So there's something called a covering. Uh, you may have heard that word covering used in church governance before. Um, Most churches have pastors and elders who oversee church activities. I know I do, and it's a good thing, Um, probably how it is in most people's churches. But the NAR would say that your church is being disobedient and displeasing to God. So if you want to be obedient to uh, what God is doing right now, your churches and your pastors must submit to the authority of the closest apostle near you, which is crazy because sometimes those apostles are women (laughs) and you're supposed to be under their authority. Yeah. Um, But there's other hallmarks of, um, of the NAR that uh, we can talk about. Even, even churches that don't have apostles and prophets are starting to veer off into some of these other teachings. Um, So can you, what kind of, um, deliverance ministries you you mentioned that earlier are we are we talking about in spiritual warfare well spiritual warfare and deliverance ministries is another huge hallmark that we we're seeing many churches who aren't really officially NAR slip over into the dark side with these spiritual warfare ministries this is how the apostles and prophets are going to activate Jesus's return um, they do this by taking dominion of our physical earthly realm in the spiritual demonic realm. So in the spiritual realm, uh, you know, you, you're probably wondering, well, how can you take dominion of the spiritual realm, right? Well, there's really only one way, and that's through engaging in spiritual warfare over the demons of the air and by having a deliverance ministry to take care of the demons in you. So spiritual warfare over territorial spirits is kind of a team effort, and uh, leaders are going to enlist troops of prophetic intercessors to identify and bind and cast down these demons ruling over cities and nations. And uh, they enlist prayer warriors to take spiritual control over different regions, maybe in your town or uh, different rooms in your church or even in different parts of the world. And so they, they conduct prayer walks around neighborhoods or public buildings. And let me just say, there's nothing unbiblical about walking and praying at all, but doing hand-to-hand combat on the spiritual battlefield to fight the forces of darkness, that's NAR. Uh, and you probably want to ask yourself, hey, you know, in all these cities where the warriors are casting out demonic forces, shouldn't this warfare result in our society improving? seems our <laughs> culture is getting worse and not better. Um, but, you know, d- deliverance ministries, on the other hand, they are designed to address people who've been oppressed or possessed. Not that a Christian can be possessed by demons, but that's what the NAR teaches. So uh, you may be told that you have a spirit of Jezebel or a sneaky squid spirit or some other creature. I'm really not kidding that, you know, these are actual real uh, spirits to them. And uh, these deliverance ministries are based on psychology um, have you ever heard of something called the Sozo prayer or uh, perhaps Theophastic prayer? No, I, I haven't. I've heard of the second one. The Theophastic? I actually did Theophastic prayer at a church that I was in led by uh, the senior pastor's wife. And um, it, it, she did say that it's from the East. And what we were going to do is close our eyes and ask God to give us a vision. We're going to go into a deep meditative state 
And so I stopped her and I said, wait a second, uh, what happens if something else uh, gives me a vision? You know, what, what happens if it's demonic? And she said, oh, don't worry about that. Uh, we're going to pray about that first to make sure that we bind the demons so that only God is speaking to you and showing you visions. And so I, um, thankfully, the Lord protected me and I, I didn't see a vision. I, I, uh, I just told her I saw, I think she was disappointed, but Sozo really is um, not uh, biblical Christianity by any stretch. It's a psycho-spiritual deliverance and inner healing methodology. Um, and guess where it came from? Where? Bethel Church. It was invented oh. by Bill Johnson himself. Um, so you can read about it on the Bethel website. It says, Sozo will heal your broken connection with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so that you can walk in the destiny to which you have been called. Um, never mind that we're been, we've been called to pick up our crosses and follow him. You've got a destiny, and uh, you're going to get a vision for what that is. So um, theophastic counseling is, is, like I said, it's a guided meditation and age regression technique. And it helps counselees uh, really conjure up images of painful childhood memories through visions. So if you were abused as a child, um, maybe that would pop into your mind and then you could uh, claim um, victory over it. So these ministries are neither prayer nor Christianity, really. Um, you're not going to find any of these practices in Scripture. Uh, they're actually leading people into bondage. Um, so it's it's these kind of deliverance techniques um, very, very frightening. We're not to use incantations or oils or even invoke Jesus's name to fight demons. We're to flee from the devil, not engage with him. Hmm. You know, as you were explaining that, I, I was thinking what you just said there, where the, none of this is found in scripture. So right. it's just interesting how they, they came up with all this, you know, <laughs> given right. that there's no, it's just not there. It isn't, but you know, it is there because we are in a spiritual battlefield. I mean, that that's what the Bible clearly tells us, but you know, the way to engage in spiritual warfare is to put on the full armor of God. You, we can read about that in Ephesians six ten. you know, flee from evil, as it says in James 4, seven and really address the sin in our lives. We need to repent and be transformed by the renewal of our minds and obey Christ through his word. So those are the things that the Bible does say. None of this stuff about age regression or asking God for, for visions. Yeah. That prayer thing reminds me a little bit of some of the mystical or the Christian mysticism type of yeah. prayers that have even uh, made their way into some of our circles. Yeah, when you were talking about that, I was reminded of that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of new age elements that uh, you would think that it would have evolved, but it really hasn't. It's it's a whole new thing, and I I think there has to be a demonic element to it. Yeah, it it sounds dangerous. It sounds. Yeah, there was a story on I could not tell you what blog it was, but where some witches I think went to Bethel. And the whole thing was just very, very bizarre. What they yeah. they talked about, kind of what they saw. Yes. There. And I, I think that was a couple of years ago. Where did I see that? I think that was on uh, Steve Kozar's Messed Up Church blog, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe we can find that and share it. But yeah, yeah. they. I think uh, uh, Bethel at the time um, affirmed them in their uh, Wiccan uh, beliefs. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, could you talk about the more of the kingdom now theology? 
Yes, uh, that's a theology, uh, as I mentioned, where we're going to take over the kingdom right here and right now. We're going to build a kingdom. Um, the, the apostles and prophets believe they really are ushering Jesus's return, and it's really up to them and us to take the steps to conquer the earth for Christ. Um, they'll go back to Genesis 128 when God told Adam to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, So they take that very seriously, and they believe that uh, when sin entered the world, they believe Satan stole that dominion mandate, and now they're going to take it back. So here in our physical world, they've identified seven spheres of influence or mountains. And uh, we mentioned the seven mountain mandate before, and that's where that comes from. Um, So this is taking dominion of the earthly realm. And these seven mountains to be conquered for Jesus are uh, government, media, entertainment, education, business, family, and religion. So um, you are probably familiar with the political sphere. Uh, Our president has several NAR leaders on his Christian advisory team. Um, And so you could probably name them. But Peter Wagner, going back to him, he once said of Donald Trump, in the business mountain and the media mountain, Trump has accumulated eight to ten billion dollars. He knows how to influence. I want to vote for a commander in chief, not a bishop in chief. And so, really, that um, his election was a strategy uh, for the NAR folks, even though it happened after Peter Wagner died. But uh, that was his dream come true. Oh, so that's why they've supported him. I remember. Yes. I think I think it was right before he came pre- became president and he had kind of a meeting and they were praying over him and I didn't I didn't know any of that 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 you just said. Well, yeah. we had brought up word of faith. Yes. Earlier, can you talk a little bit more about how NAR and word of faith are connected because it seems like maybe they mush together at some points. They do. And it's a it's kind of like a, a plate of spaghetti. <laughs> it's really hard to separate those strands, but I would say that they're distant cousins. Um, but the NAR goes way beyond telling folks that they can speak their wishes for wealth and health into existence. So the NAR will take that. Uh, they believe that, but they use more. They use signs and wonders to manipulate the sheep. So um, I guess a decade ago, if you were going to ask me about the fastest growing false movement in the church, I would have said it would have been a toss-up between um, the emergent church, which which, uh, tells us we can't know absolute truth, and then the word of faith or false name it and claim it prosperity gospel, which tells us we can speak good things into existence if we just have enough faith. If we try harder, God will bless us with good health and financial wealth. Um, unfortunately, those two movements on their own continue to steamroll believers, but NAR takes those things to a whole new level. Um, and like I said, magic and mysticism are the two things that you'll find that NAR events are based on. Um, they're giving you experiences, not just promises. They're giving you experiences and they're manipulating your emotions. Um, and really, there's nothing wrong with having emotions in church or at a conference. You know, you're you're worshiping God and, and you just you just feel uh, you, you just want to cry sometimes or uh, that's that's OK. But the experiences and emotions that come with NAR events are in intentionally manipulated by experts for maximum effect, and they are steeped in mysticism. 
A um, couple of examples. Uh, Pastor Chris Volatin over at uh, Bethel Reading operates a ministry called the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. You know, you're probably thinking uh, Hogwarts or something, New Age. Uh, you wouldn't be too far off. These classes, um, I, I've seen videos of some of these classes for adults and children. The children's ones are, are frightening. Um, they teach the kids how to hear God whispering and how to utter your own prophetic predictions from Jesus. You're channeling him. So uh, speaking of kids, many churches, uh, maybe yours, I, I don't know, I hope not, but many churches send their young people to IHOP, to the International House of Prayer, to learn how to operate in the prophetic. Um, so you, I've seen videos of, um, and I actually know personally, some interns of IHOP who came back, changed completely. Um, you can see their bodies doing these tr- uh, strange jerking movements and barely able to talk coherently without slurring their words. And uh, their their teachers are so impressed and excited. Uh, they call it an infusion from the Holy Spirit, but those who know better call it a different spirit. It's, it's really demonic. Um, and I just want to say, too, no one denies that God can perform miracles today, but it is fallacy to assume that we can expect miracles on demand as though God could be forced to perform if we just call him down. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because I we said this on our on our episode, The Work of the Holy Spirit, where when you're, this is not about continuationism, cessationism. Right. This is This is in another category. And, and I think a lot of people will say, I mean, I'm a cessationist and they'll say, well, cessationist, um, they, they limit the Holy Spirit. And right. we've talked very much about how that that's not the case. We still believe that the, that there are miracles and, and that the Holy Spirit is at work in every one of our lives. But we do not believe that this is what the Holy Spirit is about over here. And I think it's a good reminder for us to go back to Scripture and what does Scripture say about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I wanted to say that. (laughs) Well, part of the prophetic realm, another thing that they'll use is dreams and visions. Um, This idea of God revealing his plans to seers. There are actually, if you go on Facebook, you'll see um, ministries pop up that uh, of people who say, I'm a seer, you know, well, that's, that's not a a, a prophetic office, even in in the Old Testament, seers are are, uh, mystics, but uh, they see things through dreams and visions. And uh, in addition, a big teaching in the NAR is that every one of you is supposed to have a dream, uh, specifically a dream that God plants in your heart. So um, the NAR apostles, a part of their job is to disciple you to achieve your dream destiny so that you can change the world. But, you know, Jesus doesn't mention our dreams. He does tell us to die to self, uh, pick up our cross, follow him. But nowhere in scripture do we find mention of a dream destiny that we're supposed to follow, follow Christ instead. Yeah. And, and you know, the, another thing that they do teach, another thing, if, you, if you're uh, focused on angels and demons, um, a lot of these leaders claim to operate in the heavenly realm. So when you see people who are slain in the spirit, they say it's possible to go to the third heaven. Um, and people have been taking trips to the third heaven to meet Jesus on the throne. They do that all the time, they say. But really, what does the Bible say? Uh, when Jesus returns, every knee will bow. Um, you know, what does the Bible say about prophets who tell you that you could meet Jesus face to face? 
I would point them to Matthew 24, 23. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time, so if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Are there any other hallmarks or red flags that we should be looking out for? Well, you know, the the idea that uh, miracles are being used in seminars uh, featuring signs and wonders, uh, you can even see it in the advertisement, you know, come and experience God's anointing or God's glory or his presence or his manifestations. When you hear those things, um, you just want to have your ears pricked up a little bit and say, those, those are red flags. I need to be asking questions. You know, they might not be advertising uh, glory clouds of gold dust or gemstones or even manna, but they will say, you know, we're going to bring you into his presence and you're going to manifest some things. Um, there's incredible claims of healings like cancer and ulcers, autoimmune conditions being healed, chronic headaches going away. Now, these are all ailments that you can't see and medical doctors aren't right there in these conferences, right? They can't prove anything. So um, in some events now in the emerging nations, there are claims actually that healers can physically bring dead people back to life again. And and that scares me because we know that there's a counterfeit out there and there's going to be these false signs and wonders and people will be um, believing them. But, uh, but, you know, the miracles can only be performed by people who have the anointing. Uh, <laughs> and I put those in bunny ears because the anointed ones appear on stations like uh, Daystar, God TV, and TBN. Um, by the way, we call TBN the Total Blasphemy Network or <laughs> The Believer's Nightmare or the Tickling Baal Network. You know, there's a, I mean, just the bottom line, though, is, you know, as much uh, tongue in cheek as we're doing, you have to avoid stations like that because that's where you don't have any good solid teachers on those TV stations. Um, Amy, I hadn't asked you about this before, but it came up in our group. I've seen some things going through uh, social media. I don't know if this is what this is something within NAR, but I've seen some of the videos going around where there's gold dust. There, yeah. The one I saw a couple weeks ago, the lady, you know, was showing, look at all this gold dust that appeared in my Bible. And yeah. one of the gals in our group said, oh, yeah, there's also where you find gems from heaven. I, I don't know if that's exactly what it was called. Is that something from within the same movement? It really is. Um, it, it's, it, you know, and you see these, uh, these, they usually accompany some of the most false teaching ever. Uh, let me give you an example of, of one, um, because these false signs and wonders, gemstones, gold dust, and even manna are part and parcel of NAR experiences that people have had, and they are convinced that they're real. Um, I was uh, at a radio station uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Stand Up for the Truth, where I used to work, and Patricia King um, is a, a prophetess who, uh, she it, she's uh, really more of a, a witch, I would say, and I, I, I say that, you know, 
because I, I it's true. We need to warn people about her. But um, she'll use her witchcraft to do these amazing um, miracles and operate in the heavenly realms. And so she was coming to town and a local church hosted her. And at the time they made the mistake of putting up the live video stream uh, so I could tune in and watch. And I was grabbing screenshots as much as I could to report on this. And, you know, the music, first of all, was straight out of Bethel and people were swaying for about 90 minutes before she even came on. Um, it was really hypnotic. I mean, it, you could tell that they were really lost in the music and the tones. Um, but by the time she came on, uh, she was promising all sorts of things. And then they turned the cameras off for her main teaching. But uh, when I was reporting on this, one of the technicians who kind of ran the sound booth and, and the audio uh, for the conference came to the radio station. He was mad. He was really angry that I was I was um, reporting on this. And he said, I will tell you that I was there in the sound booth and I had my Bible open and I was doing the techni technical work and, and real manna came down from the ceiling and one of the mana pieces landed on my Bible and I picked it up and I tasted it and it was sweet. And I didn't know what to make. I mean, I'm not going to deny what he experienced. However, these are things that don't happen at solid Bible preaching churches. And you have to ask yourself, why doesn't that happen when the real word of God and the real scripture is proclaimed? Why does this only happen when wolves come to town? And so I've just mm. asked that question. But um, but yes, Patricia King definitely is one of the worst NAR um, preachers out there. Hmm. Um, since, you, since you mentioned wolves and people being deceived, um, what happens to Christians who are deceived by this or other things? Well, you know, you might be hearing, what's the big deal if churches embrace the NAR or even just a few of its practices? Is it really harming anything? And I would say the answer is absolutely yes. Um, just doing those testimonies, those those 60 or so testimonies that uh, about leaving the NAR church, um, we're seeing four things that are mainly themes of damage. And the first is division. Uh, we're seeing churches split over these teachings when they come in. Um, people say the pain is like discovering the betrayal of adultery. People who've been faithful members are suddenly forced out. You know, older people don't know what to make of this new teaching. Um, divisions are happening in marriages. If one spouse embraces the NAR and uh, children are often estranged from their parents. Um, the second thing that happens is you see a lot of uh, domination. And what I mean by that is control. Um, apostles and prophets exert extreme control over families. Uh, many feel like they can't attend a church or make major decisions like accepting a job or moving or proposing marriage without consulting their uh, local apostle or prophet. Um, you, you may have heard Chris Roseborough tell this story before about how he was told in his charismatic church uh, that was going NAR how to divvy up his paycheck right down to the penny, um, how to micromanage his finances. They even told him how many children he was going to have and what their names should be. And that's the, that's something that churches should just stay out of. Um, but the third thing that happens is a lot of people are distracted. They're distracted from pursuing the truth of Scripture while they're in uh, this false teaching. Um, you'll of often hear people who've come out of this say, oh, gosh, I feel like I've wasted years of my life. Um, so they never experience growth or maturity from true discipleship. And then the last thing that happens, and it's the most tragic of all, and that is disillusionment. And that's um, people finding freedom still 
feel under control. Uh, even if coming out of the NAR church, they're paranoid when they leave the movement, they're afraid to be heard again or misled. Um, many times they leave the church altogether and then they want nothing more to do with the body of Christ or Christ himself. And that is tragic. Uh, they are totally shipwrecked. And so um, there is major harm in this, you know, and, and we're really to take no part in these unfruitful works of darkness. Uh, we need to be exposing these things, as it says in Ephesians 5.11. And really, the, the to expose means just to reprove with the conviction upon the offender. So we need to appoint out uh, the error and compare it to Scripture, and we need to do that humbly. You know, I think this is a good, uh, this will be a good segue into my next question. I think this is the most common thing that the gals ask in our group when we're talking about this. And that is how do we respond to and speak with loved ones that are either involved in it heavily right now, or maybe they're heading in that direction? Uh, well, it seems almost like an impossible task sometimes if you've ever uh, tried to speak to anybody about the NAR or about some of these things. You know, and, and many people listening probably have loved ones stuck in this bondage. I know I do, um, but you know, you might recognize some of the hallmarks coming into your own church, and you're probably wondering, what do you do? Well, I, I would say uh, the first thing you need to do is take a deep breath and pray. Um, pray for strength, for wisdom, discernment for yourself and for that loved one who's caught up in this. Uh, we really need to um, stop looking at every new wind of doctrine with an open mind, but use an open Bible. So and we, as you're reading scripture and, and praying about this, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate scripture because you're going to need to put on that full armor of God. And then next, um, before you even speak to the person or, or your church leadership, you really need to do your homework. Um, there are a number of great resources for uh, researching specific topics like the NAR. Um, you know, over at Pirate Christian, there's a whole um, bunch of research articles there. Uh, there's some on Berean research. Um, Steve uh, Kozar had posted uh, several cornucopia of false teachings articles where you can really go and study those links. Uh, Berean Research has uh, white papers, but there's a lot of other uh, great sites out there. Um, I would point to Holly Pivik, uh, The Spirit of Error. Uh, her blog is wonderful for looking into the NAR. Uh, and then you need to equip yourself with the basic facts about these movements and cults, uh, their history, their teachings, who the leaders are. And of course, the most important thing is what the Bible has to say about doctrine. We need to compare everything to scripture. Um, then the last thing is, of course, the hardest thing of all to do, and that is to speak up. Um, it's time to have words with your friends, because really, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I can't say nothing. <laughs> we mustn't. Um, and, and if you're on social media, I'm convinced that Facebook is a legitimate mission field these days, especially when you see your church friends posting unbiblical things. Um I like to remind people that in uh, James 5.20, he's speaking to all the church, men and women, and he qualifies anyone who is a believer uh, to rescue those who have fallen away. And we must go lovingly confront people who are following a different gospel. And that's what the NAR is. It's a, a different gospel. So if your church has any part of the NAR or any other movement, um, just be assured you're not alone. We need to prayerfully consider how we're going to speak up. If you're married and you, you need to talk with your church leadership, you'll want to humbly alert your leaders with your husband, uh, the two of you together. 
And I'll warn you that once the NAR is firmly ensconced in a church, it's very, very difficult to turn things back to the way they were. Uh, you have to speak up anyway. Don't just flee. Um, you know, one of the risks, uh, and I've, I know you've been there. I've been there too. Uh, you're going to be scorned. You're going to be called critical. You're going to be called a Pharisee. Speak up anyway. Do it in a humble way and use lots of scripture. Um, if you're tempted to just leave without saying anything, that speaks volumes about your love for the sheep who are still tangled up in the fence, right? So uh, may I encourage you not to do that, but rather in wisdom and all humbleness, we need to speak the truth in love. And then if, if your church doesn't uh, want to change and continues down the NAR path, find a church that teaches sound doctrine without that funny stuff. Those churches are still out there. And uh, as for the people in your former church, the ones who are still talking to you, well, that's become your new mission field. So <laughs> those are my thoughts on, on how to help people um, who are stuck in this. Yeah, that's really helpful because a lot of people have asked, I was going to follow up with it, but you you talked about if you're if these things are coming into your church, you should um out of love because you should love these people. Go go to the leadership in your church, but do it with wisdom and grace and and hopefully your husband next to you. I think the hardest thing that some of our gals are going through is when their husband is is being influenced by some of this. And so I would say to any of you out there, go and learn about it so that you you can talk about it and you can point out where these things are unbiblical. I know there's so much and I think we've only scratched the surface. So anyone that's listening that wants to know more, we're going to link so much here. I'm going to even link a couple of Fighting for the Faith podcast where they've talked about it also. And then we're going to link all kinds of resources. If you're somebody who wants to learn more that, you know, whether you just, just want to know that it's out there so you can recognize it if some of these things come into your church or if you're somebody who has loved ones. I think so many, so many women have somebody in their family or a friend that's been influenced. So Amy, we appreciate so much you coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Theology Gals. I have put a lot of links within our episode notes. So I have a link to Brian Research where you can find Amy, and she writes articles about all sorts of stuff over there. And I've also linked a lot of articles from New Apostolic Reformation. One of the links from Brian Research has a lot of links within the one article. And I've linked those stories that she mentioned of people who have come out of NAR. And I've also linked her over at Pirate Christian Radio, where she has the Berean Examiner, and she talks about it over there also. So anything that we've talked about today should be linked in the episode notes if I remembered everything. I also linked Amy Montravati's new book and the God Talk podcast, which I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast. So please do check both of those out also. If you'd like to support Theology Gals financially with even a few dollars a month, I have a link to our Patreon, which is in all of our episode notes. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week.